Welcome to Smodcast. I'm Kevin Smith. Gotcha. This is actually the film room. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we, we just had to have a little fun there. Can't blame us. <laughs> yeah, especially since uh, our subject today does in fact have a podcast himself. In fact, he's probably uh, the person that got me into podcast listening. I think everybody, whether they admit it or not on some level... It was either the Ricky Gervais show or the Smodcast. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think Ricky Gervais may have been my second one. I mean, and I, and I think for most people, if they aren't really honest, it's both. To be clear, our subject for today is Kevin Smith. We're going through the essentially full filmography. Yeah, essentially, ex- except for a few uh, uh, ones that we're not going to discuss. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Kevin Smith did influence both of us. Oh, absolutely. And uh, he's he's a very interesting figure, so yeah, he, he deserves his own cast. And of course, we've been playing this for a while. This is actually put off by, uh, by a month, I think. Yeah, we wanted to take the time to make sure that we could get all the films rewatched, all of the necessary material. I needed to find, we both needed to find the time to sit down and watch Red State. His last film. Kevin Smith, he's uh, born and raised in New Jersey, and he's obviously very, very proud of it. He got a start with a little film called Clerks in 1994. Completely independent. Uh, he shot it in black and white because you know it's cheaper. In the convenience store that he worked at at the time, it was some, I think some local actors. The film was like a hundred thousand bucks, I think. Oh, it was. I mean, if it, if even that. The whole reason for the uh, shooting with the uh, door down, the whole reason that it doesn't work coming up is is because he had to shoot at night, and so we need to right. cover that. And so that was his way of getting around that. Yeah, he was pretty much working the store during the day and then shooting there at night. Which really, I think, lends a lot of authenticity to the film. It absolutely does. I think it's amazing that the folks that own that have continued to let him shoot on that location. Maybe not that extensively, but it's. I think Quick Stop has appeared in every uh, quote-unquote Viewisk Universe movie. I know it's not in, um, I know it's not in Mallrats. Oh, really? I think they mention it, though. It's mentioned. Oh, yeah, it's mentioned. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's still there. This was very much the prototypical Sundance film. And it's in its form right now, it's not like the original, original cut that you had. No, it's not. I think they, they did trim it down a bit uh, for, for Miramac. But that's I think that's also because, well, in the original cut, Dante dies at the end. <laughs> What, did you forget something? Oh, I'm sorry, we're closed. The script was supposed to be a lot more dystopian, a lot less comedic, and the tone changed with production, and the ending just stayed in until shooting, until someone told him, you know, 
with the tone of the rest of the movie, this doesn't really fit. This seems to be a trend with Smith, that he'll have endings that are completely out of left field, but thankfully somebody steps in and tells him, hey, don't do that. Because I know it's happened in at least one other incident, uh, where he had an ending that was just completely wrong for the film, and it just didn't happen for some reason. You're right, it was originally much darker, but the comedy just came out. When I watched it last time, uh, or this this past week, like I really liked it, but it's depressing. Yeah, it's all about uh, changing, you know, like your station in life, and and or accepting your station in life. I mean, it should be noted. You're right; it's depressing. Smith used the Inferno as his uh, reference point. You know, obviously. Oh yes, hence Dante. I mean, the film more or less has nine major movements. Um, I'm not sure about that, but I know that's at least how it was originally planned and structured. Yeah, hence the title cards, and uh, I think those were supposed to be like the seven layers of hell. Um, nine. Nine, okay, yeah, nine layers of hell. But the story behind those title cards is that he was on his way to, uh, I think, pitch the movie, and he just had a dictionary out, and he was just looking up words. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, that kind of fits this. And then, oh, yeah, this looks good. Oh, it fits, it fits. Ended up working, yeah. It, it, it is a depressing film, but it's also funny as hell. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculously funny. Yeah, the dialogue is pretty spot on. I can't say the execution is perfect. You know, when they talk back and forth, like, it's it's exactly that. Like, the acting's not bad, it's just... Like there's there's points when there are no there's no air in the conversation. I got fined for selling cigarettes to a minor. No way. Five hundred dollars. You're bullshit. No, I'm not. Holy shit! I didn't even think they enforced this. Living proof. Thought you never sold cigarettes to kids. I didn't. You did. Really? Yep. A uh, little girl, maybe four years old. Holy shit! That girl? Yeah. As opposed to the hundreds of other children you've sold cigarettes while working here. Then how come you got the fine? Cause I'm here. You're lying. I'm not. Why aren't you, like, screaming at me right now? Because I'm happy. You're happy? I'm happy. You're happy to get a fine? No, I'm happy because Caitlin came to see me. <laughs> now I know you're lying. I'm not. She just left. It just, it feels like two actors going back and forth. It's, it's very much a first film. It is. Uh, he, he gets much better, of course. But it was, yeah, that was, God, he took quite a risk on that. Just with the material and shooting on location, spinning... All that money to uh, to act to shoot on film, unlike now where you could just shoot something on digital and uh, just make it a zero budget. Like you couldn't do that. It's nineteen ninety four. The funny thing is, I think the black and white aesthetic really helps the film. I think it looks really good. Yeah, it does. He has kept that cinematographer throughout his career, David Klein. Yeah. Oh, I saw that Klein shot uh, Red State. Yesterday, I noticed. Oh yeah, he did. Credits, he he did indeed shoot that, and that I mean that's one thing we should note is Smith has stayed very loyal to that uh, crew core of uh, people that he worked with. Every incarnation of Clerks, this includes the cartoon. Uh, any actor that uh, played in Clerks, if their character shows up, it's them. We still have the place around it. Come out with your hands up, Dante. It's Caitlin again. I want you to go wedding dress shopping with me and other emasculating activities that I can think of. You threaten the president? Not today. There is a deleted scene in Clerks that had to do with the funeral. Actually, it's deleted from the script. 
And they did a really cool thing with the DVD, which is they uh, they animated the scene in the style of the Clerks cartoon. And they had all the original voices. And uh, uh, Alyssa from Chasing Amy actually shows up, like makes an appearance. And they make connections to mole rats, too. When did you find out about Julie? Oh, last night. I was coming down to see her on that stupid game show they did at Eden Prairie yesterday. She was supposed to be on that? Hey, finger cuffs. Go to hell, Graves. Uh, Joey Lauren Adams, uh, who's from uh, out of uh, North Little Rock. Oh, really? Yeah. She's a local girl, then, from, or at least from your standpoint. Yeah, when she wrote and uh, directed her first movie, which got really good reviews, she shot it in this area, so... Oh, that's kick-ass. Yeah, she, she's a local through and through. Um, that scene, that scene is, should be noted, is one-third of the uh, Clark's comic books that Smith... Really? Uh, yeah, that, oh, that's funny. That's an issue of the three that he did. It should be noted, those three comics, what it is is one was a Christmas special, really absurd stuff. It was good. One was sort of a standalone adventure, almost like a lost episode of the TV show. Uh, and then one was this scene. All three are laugh out loud hilarious. Well worth finding if you can get your hands on them. I think they're digital. Yeah, and I I, uh, I saw some of the covers. They they kind of look like the Clerks cartoon, don't they? They're drawing the style. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's kind of amusing. Like if you've seen the Clerks cartoon at all, I own it. It's it's an underrated show. It's too bad it only got six episodes. Better to be brilliant uh, in six episodes than flounder forever, um, looking at you pretty much every animated series that's on television today. Uh, one in particular, it's run almost 30 years. <clears throat> and what's funny is that laced into those episodes is the is the joke, yeah, this is probably the only six we'll ever do. Like, they, each episode has, like, a really long title, and then the last episode is called The Last Episode Ever. Didn't only, like, two episodes air? Yeah, yeah, only about two episodes aired. The rest went straight to video. Yeah, which sucked. But I'm glad that Smith & Co. had the good sense to uh, release all of them on DVD with all the special feature works. On DVD, it's almost better because you get uh, Jay and Silent Bob introducing them. One thing that I, one other thing I do have to note about the animated series is I remember when I first saw the credits, I saw a reference to Alec Baldwin in the cast voice credits, and I was like, Okay, why why would they claim that he was on this? Well, they would claim he was on it because he... He was. He was the quote-unquote bad guy. Well played, Clerks. Yeah, he was, and he's great. I mean, he's awesome in it. The thing about Clerks, you, you have to talk a little bit about Jay and Silent Bob because they kind of were the characters that became the iconic characters out of that film. They were, they were introduced in this. I don't know if he had planned to, like, when he made more films, uh, include them as run-on characters, but it, it's a, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's a brilliant intro. Obviously, we will get to them a little bit later on down the road, but I just have to note that their scenes in Clerks are great. That's his fucking metal face. Olaf, girl, nice. Scarlet Mac. That's fucked up, man. What did he say? I don't know, man, but this guy's a character. He really wants to play metal? Yeah, he's got his own band in Moscow. It's called Fuck Your Yankee Blue Jeans or something like that. Also, should be noted, the cartoon is nothing like the movie. No. They just, they went they went all out with it. They took full advantage of the fact that it's animated. They had fun with the medium, and they went nicely in service. It, it's good. Now to discuss 
a movie that is the that was at the time cited as the ultimate example of a sophomore slump, which I don't think I can disagree strongly enough with that idea. Mall rats. I loved it. It's great. It, it really is amazing to go back and read the reviews of it because critics absolutely scoured the film. It still has a 65 on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Which is amazing to me because the film starts hilarious. It ends hilarious. It does not slow down. I'm not going to say it's my favorite of this set of films, but... It's it's I would say it's number two uh, on my list of my favorites of Smith's films because it is appropriately so cons- yeah very appropriately because it is so consistently funny. It was a movie that was just so absurdist and crazy. And what's funny about the film is how close it came to being a disaster. Oh yeah. For those who are unaware, Smith. Obviously, he did Clerks independently, but Harvey Weinstein really, of Miramax, really came through in action and really was a supporter, uh, bought the film, really pushed it, and in what's going to be a theme for the rest of this cast up until a certain point, was really Smith's big backer. Uh, until he decided to go on his own. Smith's got a lot of love for Weinstein, uh, if you read about him in interviews. I mean, so Smith, though, with this one, went to uh, Gramercy Pictures to, to do it. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was under a different, uh, yeah. And that didn't work out at all. Gramercy is now defunct, by the way. Yeah, they, they've been absorbed into Universal, which, to Universal's credit, Universal has really handled the film great on video. Uh, but in this case, uh, like, one of the first things they wanted to do was they wanted to recast... Jason Mewes as Jay with Seth Green. Oh, Jesus. I mean, as much as I like Seth Green, no. Now, first of all, yeah, I'm with you there. I love Seth Green. I'm a big fan of his, uh, just about everything he does. Here's the big problem with that. For those who are unaware, Jason Mewes is Jay. Fucking kidding, Easter Bunny did this? All I said was the Easter Bunny at the Menlo Park Mall was more convincing. He just jumped the railing and knocked me down. He's fucking dead. I'll let it go. He's under a lot of pressure. What the hell happened to him? The guy in Easter Bunny suit kicked his ass. I had it coming. Fuck all that shit. Come on, Sal Bob. Yeah. Like, that's not... That's not a character... Well, he is a character he's playing, but it's him. Yeah. Uh, for those who are unaware, Jason Hughes was one of Smith's childhood best friends. And absolutely, still to this day, is one of his closest friends. Smith based the character on his friend. So, it would not have worked. Smith dug in his heels and won that battle. Thank God. I I dare say that had he done that, that would have forever made Mallrats feel illegitimate. Had he lost that battle. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't, I also wouldn't doubt that, uh, 
uh, you know, if he had continued to use James Bell after that, he would have still fought for Jason Mewes to be in the rest of the movies. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of like what happened with Hellboy, where David Hyde Pierce was brought in to voice Abe Sapien, even though Guillermo del Toro really wanted Doug Jones, who did the uh, body work for the character, to voice him. When they did the sequel, uh, Universal said, hey, we'll cast Jones, go for it. Awesome. Smith did win that battle. He lost a few others on the film. Overall, if you look at this movie, as I said, this is a consistently hilarious movie, and it really sets the tone for a lot of things that are to come. Uh, two big casting decisions in particular really set the tone for things to come. Uh, for those who are unaware, this was the first time that Smith had worked with Ben Affleck and Jason Lee. This was Jason Lee's first major project that he'd done. I think he'd done a little bit of acting before that. Uh, he was a skateboarder up until then. A pretty good one, too, from what I understand, but he shifted over into acting. Second suitor, if we were making Whoopi... What's Whoopi? Oh, uh, well, if we were uh, being intimate... What, like fucking? <laughs> Yeah, you know, well, what, what kind of noises would you make? Uh, I, I think that's kind of personal. I don't think I should answer that. And Lee walks away with the movie. It's, it's impossible to say otherwise. I mean, Lee just steals the film. And then, as you mentioned, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, this was, this was, not, this was far from Affleck's first part. But but it was still very early for him. And again, the tone was set for Smith, kind of getting to work with those two guys. God, Ben Affleck plays an asshole in this. I don't like you. I see you every week in this mall. I don't like shit this layabouts. You're one of these loser fucking mall rat kids. You don't come down here to, to, to work or shop. You hang out all day. Act like you fucking live here. Well, I have no respect for people with no shopping agenda. Is this what's known as motivated salesmanship? <clears throat> He's terrible. I mean, his character is just awful. His character likes to boast that uh, he uh, takes women on dates and then has anal sex with them. Yeah. And I think... Uh, boy, uh, boy, I hope we're warning people in advance about content on this cast. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a Kevin Smith cast. And, of course, we have an explicit label, so we're covered. All right, we're good. I know we've talked about Ben Affleck's career on this cast a lot. The guy has a very interesting career and hey this is no exception he ties in well i mean we have to talk about affleck because we're talking about smith and smith's been very you know very clear on the fact that he's got a lot of love for it i mean as i said i just i'm sorry and there's a few other actors in this film that also occurred throughout uh, uh ethan suppley is in it um he's oh yeah that's right he's gonna show up a few more times i mean of course he and jason lee had uh uh, Miami Zero for four seasons. A show that I quite enjoyed, so yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Let's see, what else is there? There's Joey Lauren Adams is in this uh, for... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. She's going to show up three more times, or two more. I mean, it, it just it goes on and on. You know, its role in the viewers universe is pretty clear. Uh, you've got cameos by a, you know, a few other actors who've shown up in parts. Yeah. The running joke with um, 
anytime Brian O'Halloran appears in these in the humorous movies, he's actually playing a relative of Dante. Yeah. His last name is always Hicks. Uh, suitor number three. What would our first date be like? Well, uh, first I'd take you shopping to the stores you'd want to shop in. And then we'd do a little lunch, probably at the cheese house, followed by some golfing. And then at night, uh, we'd take in an opera, probably Deflator Mouse. And then I'd follow it all up with a drive to a secluded beach where I'd pop on the radio and, and then we could slow dance till the sun came up. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. I mean, look at you. You're the kind of guy that would beg for sex. I mean, it should be noted that there's just a really, there's just, this is an amazing cast of actors. Uh, uh, Walking Dead fans might recognize Michael Rooker from that. Uh, show, and they'll certainly recognize his ass, which is shown very clearly. The movie is just wall-to-wall -wall crazy stuff. I imagine that part of the backlash of that is that it wasn't like Clerks. It wasn't. And I also think part of the backlash was that people were expecting Smith to come out with something that said something for his second film. He didn't need to say something with every film. Sometimes you can just have a nice romp. It's worth noting a lot of the Sundance generation really flamed out, so you got to give Smith credit for really putting together some consistent work. As I said, there's a lot of hatred for this movie from critics. The funny thing is, I don't know anybody who doesn't love this movie. Uh, if you uh, get the DVD, I recommend giving the extended version a watch. You know, it's it's one of those things I wouldn't recommend watching that first because it is very long. But if you have watched and enjoyed Mallrats, I suggest watching the extended cut. Like, it is, it's hilarious. From there, we, we do have to address the next phase of Smith's career. Again, you're walking wounded because the film was just so savaged by critics. The backlash hit. Now, when that happens, some directors dig in their heels and decide to make a movie just like the one they just made. Or in Smith's case, they decide to grow up a little bit. We're finally going to get to talk about Chasing Amy, which we wanted to do since the second cast. Oh god, yeah. It's a wonderful film. This, I firmly believe, is Smith's most adult and mature film. Mm, yeah. Those unaware, it's about, of course, Ben Affleck falls in love with a lesbian. This was released in 97, uh, when the gay thing was still kind of taboo to talk about, almost. Like, this, that's nowhere near as evident as it is when you watch the trailer. Let me guess. You like her. This girl loves me. There's something you should know. She got a boyfriend. Well, no. Then what's to know, my friend? And this girl's got a secret that's going to drive him crazy. How was your pseudo date? Okay, I'm telling you, she's never even been with a guy. You're dating a guy? So what if it is true? They dance around it like mad. We are... It's amazing how much society has progressed in what's really a very short period of time. Well, I mean, you say it's a movie about Affleck falling in love with a lesbian, 
that's really oversimplifying things. It's really much more accurate to say it's about a man who falls in love with a bisexual who identifies herself as a lesbian. The film is about gender politics and the I, gen, gender identity and what it means to identify. It's, in many ways, it's a film that is ahead of its time. It really is. It's, it's a film that only grows stronger in the years since. It, it's a movie with something to say. Uh, it should be noted that Smith returned to Miramax, uh, returned to working with Weinstein, was able to get his uh, cast that he wanted, uh, was able to get Affleck and uh, Jason Lee in the leads, which was how he wanted to play the film. It's a movie that, honestly, while obviously Affleck's career would take off a little bit later on in 1997, Really, if you want to know where Affleck took off as an actor, this is the film. This, maybe more so than the other film that he did that year, was what got the ball rolling for him as a leading man. Thank God Jason Lee's great in it, too. Lee is, Lee's great in it. Lee's great in a way that I don't know that uh, another director has really utilized him yet. Uh, Cameron Crowe came close, but yeah. Because his character is also struggling with sexual issues. Yeah, he doesn't really realize it until the end. What I tell you, she just needs the right guy. All every woman really wants, be it mother, senator, nun, is some serious deep dicking. See, that's why I can't buy lesbians. Everyone needs dick. See, I can buy fags, a bunch of guys that need dick, you know, just plain need it. That I get. Thanks. Bullshit posturing. I'm sure the gay community appreciates your support. It's a movie that's very... It's very funny. Even though I consider it a fairly serious film, it's very funny. Oh, very, yeah. It's got some amazing one-liners, but it just really reflects an epic amount of growth for Smith. Yeah, the difference, uh, this with Geely, is that, yeah, she is, it's much more believable that Alyssa would fall for him because, uh, you know, she's she's bisexual. Like, she's only identified herself as a lesbian because... The way the world is, how seldom it is that you meet that one person who just gets you. And to cut oneself off from finding that person, to immediately half your options by eliminating the possibility of finding that one person within your own gender, that just seems stupid to me. And while I was falling for you, I put a ceiling on that because you were a guy. Until I remember why I opened the door to women in the first place. You know, this is a very rare film to come from a straight man to deal with issues of gay and lesbian identity and do it with some real sensitivity. I think Smith really does show that he understands what he's talking about. That's the reason that this film, even as we've grown as a culture uh, in terms of our acceptance and discussion of gay and lesbian issues, there's a reason that this film remains a touchstone and doesn't feel dated, is because it has something to say. Now one thing I should note is that it's not like Smith was someone who didn't at least on some level know what he was talking about. Smith has a number of very close gay friends, and I, I even want to say, I want to say his brother is gay. I think that's what I've I read. I think you're right. So he really understood this community, and he wasn't just talking out of his ass, but one thing though that I do have to take the film that I do have to take Chasing Amy the cast for, and uh, this is going to come up again throughout the cast. Smith 
really should not write about race. Really? Now, here's the thing. The character of Hooper is admittedly supposed to be a cartoon. Because he's a, oh yeah, Hooper X, yeah. Because he's a gay man posing as a black militant, and and th- and that's why I'm gonna give the film a little bit of leeway. It gets worse when he's dealing with other characters. Uh, in fact, it gets progressively worse, but it's still more than a little uncomfortable. The dialogue that he writes, as I said, I give him a little bit of a pass in this one case, but I feel like I need to start noting that Smith and Race are. He doesn't write it very well at all. Assalamu alaikum, little brother. Could you sign my comic? Hey, see that man right there? He the devil. Understand? Never take your eye off the man. Fight the power, little G. Word is born. Word is born. Look at what I have to resort to for professional respect. Um. I kind of have no opinion on that. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think you're probably right, but um, I, I did, I did find that first scene that he shows up in hilarious. Oh, I'm. Yeah. Oh no, that scene's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not disputing that. Check this shit. You got cracker farm boy Luke Skywalker, Nazi poster boy, blonde hair, blue eyes, and then you got Darth Vader, the blackest brother in the galaxy, Nubian god. What's a Nubian? Shut the fuck up. Yeah, no, no, that scene is hilarious, even though, as, as I said, I'm a little bit more mixed, but I do want, on this instance, but I do want to just start by noting that this is going to come to be an issue as Smith's career goes on. Before we get to Dogma, let me interject that I've read the Jay and Silent Bob miniseries, Chasing Dogma. The, uh, the Jay and Silent Bob miniseries is not particularly good, and I don't recommend it. It's clunky. It's... A lot of interconnected scenes that don't quite work. It does try to bridge some of the gaps in the universe. One thing that it does is it provides an early version of uh, a subplot that's going to show up in a later movie. This is kind of the basis for Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Smith lifts a little bit from it, but it, but what he lifts from it doesn't work as well. Oh, that's true. They, I forgot, I completely forgot that the Blunt Man and Chronic comic was a product of uh, Chasing Amy. Yeah. He lifts a little bit from it, but it just doesn't quite, it doesn't quite work. It doesn't... It doesn't quite gel. It doesn't quite gel. Uh, the miniseries does have one, a couple of humorous notes. One of the first is that the uh, there's a sequence where they run into Neil Patrick Harris making a porno. <laughs> Now, it should be noted that at this point in time, A, we didn't know Neil Patrick Harris was gay, and B, Neil Patrick Harris was pretty much washed up at this point, aside from doing small parts here and there. There was no indication that the man was a comedic genius in the office. The Harold and Kumar movies would uh, make clear, and then How I Met Your Mother would just confirm that he is one of the greats. Uh, Barney Stinson is a legend. No, wait, I didn't say that right. He is legend. Wait for it. Yeah, no. But it is kind of funny that Smith threw this in there. And, I mean, there's a few jokes here and there that work. They have to. And, as I said, that sequence in general is pretty good. But One scene in particular, I think it's in that comic, they accidentally predict the ending to Tim Burton's version of Planet of the Apes. They do. They do. Or I should say they did it first and Tim Burton may have stolen it. But I don't know that. 
Don't know, don't care. That's kind of my stance. Yeah, on it. yeah. Before we hit on Dogma, we should talk about the film that Smith executive produced. That was a little film called Goodwill Hunting. Oh yeah, I forgot he produced that. Smith took the script to uh, the Weinstein's and got it to them, and got them aware of it, and so that pretty much got things going on uh, Goodwill Hunting. You know, again, doing a favor for his friends, uh, and I want. To touch on that because Affleck and Damon are in uh, Dogma working together. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a period where they, like, you couldn't find one without the other. Goodwill Hunting does connect to it and it does need to be noted. Smith admittedly didn't do really much beyond saying hey, this is a really good script and you guys should make this and, and then Weinstein's read it and figure out that yeah, this is a really great script. Uh, so, hey, but that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'll save my thoughts on Goodwill Hunting, but I really want to do that as its own cast. I know I've mentioned before that, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. Anyway, Dogma. I think this is the first film of his I saw before I knew who Kevin Smith was. Same here. And, uh, God, did I like that film. Yeah, Dogma's one that I know pretty much by heart. It's easily his most ambitious in terms of what he was trying to do, special effects-wise. And it should be noted that he, uh, he was raised Catholic. Yeah. I know he does, he doesn't, like, regularly go to church, but I guess the last I heard... Like, every time, like, the Sunday before a shoot starts, he, he goes to Mass. That's what I've read. And he always, of course, uh, the first person he thanks in each of his films uh, in the credits is God. I think it's best to say that Smith has complex views on religion that actually show that he thinks about it. That actually show that he has... Because that's the whole theme of this movie, is not to be strict and unyielding in your beliefs, but to be open to ideas and to think about the things that you believe in. That, more than anything else, is what makes Dogma such a radical film, because it doesn't take a black and white stance on the topic of religion, but instead encourages people to think about these ideas, to think about metaphysics. And what's funny is the film was so controversial upon release, which I gotta say it, it feels kind of tame today. It does. There's so many worse, much worse things that have been released. When you're in the post-Dawkins and Hitchens era, does this film really feel all that vicious? I mean, it does have a perspective on religion that suggests that there's some validity and power to it, and it does suggest that it can be beneficial to a person's lives, and, I mean, yes, it has angels swearing and killing, but... And my God, he cast George Carlin as a bishop. Cardinal, excuse me. He's a cardinal. Yeah, now... For those who have somehow managed to never hear a syllable of Carlin's stand-up, Carlin was about as fervently atheistic as you can. Oh, God, yeah. And the Invisible Man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. Honestly, Carlin, in terms of his anger towards religion, 
could talk the two guys I just listed under the table. I mean, I should note that, you know, whatever your personal opinions are, you know, I tend to put them aside because I, Carlin was a genius. Carlin was one of the greats of stand-up, and that's all I'm really going to say about that. So, yeah, I mean, Smith, Smith definitely knew enough to be uh, irreverent, but he had fun. As I said, the film almost feels kind of gentle today. Yeah. I mean, Buddy Christ doesn't seem that bad. The crucifix. While it has been a time-honored symbol of our faith, Holy Mother Church has decided to retire this highly recognizable yet wholly depressing image of our Lord crucified. Christ didn't come to earth to give us the willies. He came to help us out. And it's with that take on our Lord in mind that we've come up with a new, more inspiring sigil. I give you the Buddy Christ. Well, the thing about it is Buddy Christ, if, if you don't live in the Bible Belt, I don't think people understand just how dead-on Smith was with that notion. I mean, the notion of Buddy Christ feels pretty damned accurate to some of the stuff that I see in the South, growing up in the South. The idea that you would water down religion and make it palatable and remove it of its power. I mean, Smith definitely has some opinions about the commercialization of religion, and he's not a fan. On this film, Smith probably had the best cast he's ever had. Alan Rickman, Chris Rock, George Carlin, uh, his regular cast. Alanis Morissette as God. Matt Damon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's... Oh, and Bud Court as God in human form. That is true, that is true. Yeah. There's a, a cult icon right there. I will never look at Bud Court and see an old man. I will always see the teenage boy from Harold Maude. See, I don't particularly like that film, and even I feel the same way. He's brilliant in any film he's in, but I I always see him as a teenager in old man makeup. Yeah. It should be noted, though, that Smith did run into one major problem in his casting, and that was with his lead actress in it. He got Linda Fiorentino to play the lead, and by uh, yeah. all accounts, she was utterly unbearable to work with. Not that that's the only time that I've heard that. There's a reason her career kind of fizzled fast. Yeah, I, uh, she was not in Men in Black 2. I, I want to say I've read that he wished he cast Janine Garofalo. Yeah, who is in the film. Who is in the film, and who would have been great in that part, would have done great. Uh, of course, she, she's someone who doesn't uh, particularly have very many fans either, mind you, but she's at least talented, and I would have at least been, been interesting to see, but yeah... I mentioned the race thing earlier. In this film and in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, his next film, he uses Chris Rock in to play two more kind of black militants. He gets a pass on those because he cast Chris Rock. I don't know. I do think the um, the Thirteenth Apostle thing is kind of funny. You knew Christ? No shit. Nick owes me twelve bucks. Oh, again, I bring it up, but. I, I, again, in this instance, I really like it because, yeah, the character, the character of Rufus, the 13th Apostle, is hilarious. And because Rock sounds natural delivering Smith's dialogue. Smith's dialogue is a bit fit for Chris Rock. Uh, I forgot about this until now, but the, uh, Jesus is black thing also. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, what's funny is so many of the elements that, like, come off as controversial in it, like, okay, the, the Jesus is black, Joseph and Mary had sex. Uh, well, for one thing, it is widely believed that Jesus, at least with all its end at the minimum, and as for the Joseph and Mary having sex thing, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's biblical canon. It's biblical canon, dudes. Jesus had brothers and sisters. You know, I like dogma. I don't know that it holds quite the same punch that it did upon first release, but I think that that's also because I've watched it so many times. It's still a good film, and it still holds up, so yeah. How many, in how many films can you see a shit demon? No, not very many. How many films can you see that, and it doesn't come off as uh, just being irritating and gross? Let's get to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. That's one that upon original release, like I kind I had seen Dogma, I kind of knew Jay and Silent Bob were, but I was like, eh, not interested. This looks like a film that I would not be interested in. Uh, let me get a nickel bag. Fifteen bucks, little man. Put that shit in my hand. And uh, later, like, Kurtzman became a Kevin Smith fan. Like, oh, okay, now I have to see this. I'm going to say I saw it in theater. Uh, that was one of the first of his that I saw in theaters. Very pleased with that because it deserved it. It's very much a, a cartoon of a film, which it needs to be. Every day people hitch to Hollywood to stop studios from making films about them. But when you and me try, it's like we're trapped in a fucking cartoon. It's easily my favorite of these films. I think at the time it was meant to be, it might have meant to be the last of the viewers Universe movie. It was, that was the plan. Because it tied, it tied all the previous films together very nicely. That was the plan, it didn't work out that way, but yeah, I love this movie. I mean, there's so many things I could say about it. Really, with this film? I think it's kind of the first time I noticed that Smith really is a versatile director. He is. He can work in different styles. Clerks was a different style from Mallrats. Chasing Amy was a different style from anything else. Uh, like, keeping the same... Well, it is kind of the same style, like, as writing and humor. But the, he can he can shift tones. Like, Dogma is kind of cartoony, but not as much as this. And each film is appropriate to its uh, to its tone. From start to finish, like Mallrats, from start to finish, it's hilarious. It's laden with references to everything he's ever touched, more or less. Uh, there's a reference to his Daredevil run for Marvel. Holy shit, there's even a reference to Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting 2, hunting season, scene 16, take 5. You stopped hitting the books with a vengeance. And now I've read shit you haven't even heard about yet. Face facts, my friend. You're just no longer that good. Will Hunting? Now how do you like them apples? It's hunting season. Applesauce, bitch. There's a reference to Scream because Jay and Silent Bob show up in a cameo in Scream 3. Alright, you bastard, let's see who you really are. Fucking Miramax, cut! A monkey, Wes? I mean, Jesus, you guys aren't even trying anymore, are you? What, the market research says people love monkeys. <laughs> okay, that I forgot about. Yeah. 
his uh his artist on the uh art that he did for Daredevil is in the movie as a uh, pizza boy. Oh, Joe Quesada, nice. now the uh, head of Marvel. Uh, Paul Dini is in it at one point, who worked on the uh, Quirks animated series. God, is he a legend. He created the namesake of Kevin Smith's daughter. True. Harley Quinn Smith, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Smith's daughter is in it as uh, the baby version of his character. I mean, yeah, the film is a giant ninja for Smith. Like, you, you cannot see it without having seen every film previous and knowing, yeah. But you know what's funny? I found it to be the one that a lot of people I know who don't know Smith's other work, they really, they really love this movie. That's funny. Or they've said that they watched it, and then they went back in and watched it. Watched all the other ones? Yeah. Wow. That kind of says something. And I have a theory as to why that is. I blame the main characters. They are great characters. They, de- they really did deserve their own film. Because as is clear, this is the Jay and Silent Bob standalone movie. This is their movie where they get to be main characters. And even though it's laden with cameos from all kinds of other people, this movie is carried by Jay and Silent Bob. Oh, one of the other things, forgot to mention with Dogma, <clears throat> Dogma introduced the uh, the movies concept. There's this Disney-like empire that has restaurants and theme parks. And, you know, they worship a golden calf, which is, of course, the joke. But yeah, movies continues to make appearances here as like as the fast food restaurant. I remember when all we used to have for breakfast was fish and goat's milk. What do you call this shit? Egg and movie muffin. Now we can eat our egg and movie muffin, then get back on the road, go to Hollywood and stop those fucks from making that movie. Welcome to movies, man. Take your order. Yeah, um see. Give me one utterly delicious milkshake, skinny calf, and order of onion rings. I mean it's just a film that you could absolutely go through and annotate and in terms of what it means for his past movies and even for a few of his future movies. But it's just oh, wall to wall stuff. You know, this is the first big thing that Will Ferrell did that wasn't connected to Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah! I forgot he was in this. Yeah. He's the sheriff. Yeah, this was uh, Ferrell's first time to really break away from SNL and he gets some amazing lines in it. Excuse me, who the hell are you? Federal Wildlife Marshal, Bill and Holly. Hello? Truce? I think I killed both of them. I am an excellent marksman. I've always... It's such a funny, funny, funny film. It's very much in the vein of, like, Blues Brothers and, like, all those road movies, which, of course, Carrie Fisher was also in. Yes, she was. Which is fitting, uh... And I don't think Smith would be offended by the comparison to Blues Brothers. Uh. Most of you are probably aware uh, Kevin Smith is a big internet junkie. He's very connected to his fans. He has a message board, which I used to be a part of for uh, three years. I still have a handle on there. For those of you who were part of the board, I was Al the Film Nerd. And sometimes I like to drop by and see what they're doing. But but yeah, this movie introduced the site moviepoopshoot.com. The board's on there. Like, they actually did start a community of people on a message board there, and uh, it has since become, of course, viewaskew.com, and it's now the Viewask Universe message board. It was a fun board. I actually did have a real in-the-flesh meetup with some with some of the people uh, in Kansas City a few years ago, and that was a ton of fun. Yeah, that's an interesting note. I mean, that's just it. In a sense, this movie feels a little bit of ahead of its time in a couple of ways, actually. 
first of all, there's a lot of talk about how every studio is making a superhero movie after X-Men started making money. Well, that's true, but that really wasn't where the gold mine was struck. It was really after Spider-Man that it became get anything and everything that you can get into production and production. Smith, being a huge superhero fan, could see that that wave was coming and got right out in front of it and made a great parody movie. That, that's true. This is 2001. Yeah. The internet thing is still true. Like, the 15-year-olds on message boards trash-talking. I think it's become even more prevalent now. And I think Smith... Because Smith knew what he was talking about, that makes the movie that much funnier because he's going out there and attacking this stuff before it became what it is on YouTube, where, you know, right. everybody's aware of internet trolls now. And that makes the movie funnier because it's a giant parody of that. And if you could go out and beat up all of the 15-year-olds who have ever left a bad comment on your YouTube video... Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, as I said, I, I just... I feel like the movie's timeless, in, in a sense. Even though it's very much about a specific moment, it, it feels timeless. I should note on a personal note, for me, this movie will always be associated with 9-11. I had the screenplay on order on September 11th. My Amazon box revealed that it shipped on September 11th. I held on to that box for many years because of a certain amount of symbolism of it. Of the idea that, okay, on 9-11 things were still working. It was like a symbol of, okay, we're still going to get through. And that script arrived the Thursday of that week when I was in desperate need of something to make me feel good. I had that screenplay, and you know what? It did the job. It made me laugh. Wow. Yeah. Between 2001 and 2004, Smith decided to uh, go in a different direction, a very different direction, with his uh, next film, Jersey Girl. When people keep repeating that you'll never fall in love When everybody keeps retreating that you can't seem to get enough Let my love open the door Let my love open the door Let my love open the door To your heart In the year 2000, Smith had a daughter. Uh, Harley Quinn Smith. I haven't seen her recently, but she is just the cutest damn thing. Uh, she is in, I believe she makes a cameo in it. Uh, she has made a cameo in every single one of its films since. Uh, she's even in Red State. I missed her, but uh, she's in there. But yeah, he, he made a film for his daughter. If I heard right, you don't like the movie too much? You are right. I do not like the movie too much. <laughs> Why is that? Well, first of all, I have some real issues with Basically, the central plot kind of falls flat for me. Not the plot about a father losing his wife and having to carry on. That's a poignant story. And when Smith handles that, he handles it well. My issue is everything involving Affleck's career doesn't work. I, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy a single one of those scenes. The way that he acts towards his daughter towards the end of this movie, I found reprehensible. I I hate you right back, you little shit! You and your mother took my life away, and I just want it back! God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sweetie. I didn't Get off me! I'm sorry. Get off me! What the hell's the matter with you? I'll have to give you that. That is a pretty douchebag. Telling your daughter you ruined my life when she's a little kid? 
Well, telling them that at any time is terrible, it really did not, it didn't work. I mean, I also feel like Smith whiffed it on some casting, uh, particularly an actress that I have liked in three movies total. And those were movies where she really didn't say very much, Liv Tyler. I've liked films that she's been in, in spite of her, but remove Lord of the Rings from her filmography, and she's a record an actress. Aww. I, I'm, I am really ardently not a fan of her. Well, um, I, I actually do like Liv Tyler. Uh, since I saw That Thing You Do, I have liked her. Like, she was in Armageddon. I don't remember too much about that movie. Just, no, she really grated on my nerves there. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, she has since, in my eyes, been replaced with Zoe Deschanel. You say about that what you will. <laughs> um, I think Deschanel's a much better actress. Yeah, yeah. Far better actress. The way I, the, but the way I counter that, like, with the thing that yells at Dario, like, yeah, that is extremely reprehensible, and it is uh, hard to come back from that after you've reached that point. And I will admit that, yeah, after that happens... They forgave that much too, much too softly. Yeah. Yeah, because that is, like, she's just like, ah, I forgive you. <laughs> I did think in that, within the scene, the act, like, the actress that plays the little girl did have the appropriate reaction, which is scared shitless. Oh, she, she's good. She's good. Yeah. But yeah, I do agree with that. But the, uh, I will counter that with when he was a publicist, when he was still a publicist in the movie. Uh, it was kind of a douchebag, and it, when he meets Jason Biggs after seven years, he's like, "Dude, you're more affectionate than I remember you." It's like, "Yeah, yeah," and I think that's part of the point is that he, um, you know, he did kind of reform for his daughter, and then the the itch of becoming his former douchebag self kind of sprung up and uh, kind of triggered that. Well, I mean, I'm not against that point, man. I do think that's a fair point, but it's the character goes from being a highly paid publicist to being a garbage man. True. You kind of trip my plausibility levels here, and I'm serious. You and I realize that that's a minor nitpick, but we're podcasters. We nitpick. We nitpick, and it's one of those things. It's it's a stumbling block. It's like your your brain can't go well, but you've got a college education. You could surely you could just like veer yourself into something else. Maybe go back get a teaching degree or something. I mean, right. There were more plausible angles that Smith could have gone down, and because the job is such a central part of the film, I I just I it's like that's a sticking point for me. I can't move my head away from that. I stood. And uh I think he kinda smooths that with the fact that his father is a garbage man and that's what he like he moved in with his father and therefore kinda took that up. But yeah, you're right. He does have a college degree and he was a highly paid person, even though he ruined his career as a publicist. That doesn't necessarily mean that he couldn't do something else within that area. There's just, you know, there's too much there. And the guy that he has the meltdown about is the Fresh Prince. Um, is the whole incident, it's an incident with the Fresh Prince. Um, you know, maybe it would have been better if uh, Smith had tapped someone who was known for being a real jerk about PR and stuff like that. But even though Smith ego is pretty well known. Will Smith strikes me as someone who doesn't work in terms of, I just, I don't know, I didn't buy that sequence. Also, the character had a reason to feel that way. I really feel like 
most people in that world probably would have been like, well, the guy's lost his wife and he's having an emotional meltdown. I mean, I'm sorry, I work in the media. I, I know about media relations. I'm a, a little too smart. I was a journalism student when I saw the film. I'm a page designer as I'm recording this. Again, I just, I know that world a little too well. And I think, I, I realized that it was that Smith needed an inciting incident to get the character back to New Jersey. I just, I don't know. It, it, I didn't, I didn't buy it. But I feel like this issue is kind of a nitpick next to the bigger issues, which is that, yes, Affleck's character kind of becomes a terrible person, and the romance with Tyler just didn't set, it didn't sell me, um, just, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't work for me. Yeah, I can understand. But there are things about that I do like. George Carlin, this was a rare, serious part for him. And, holy, he kills it. I, I wish we'd gotten more serious work from Carlin. It's worth noting that for all of his image as an angry stand-up comedian, if you read about him in real life, he, see, he came off and came off as a really gentle, nice guy. Uh, he really got to show some range in this movie. He was really quite touching in it. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, Jason Biggs because, yeah, he was in this. And, uh, Smith used him well. I mean, he's, he's in it uh, for maybe four or five scenes. But yeah, he he uh, he stands out. I wouldn't say it's a film that I hate. I should stress this is not a movie that I hate. I just I, I don't particularly care for it, and it didn't work for me. But I don't particularly hate it. And it should be noted we talked about Dave Klein. Dave Klein was usual cinematographer. This time he he actually took a, a break with Klein and hired. I'm going to mispronounce this man's name. Vilmos Zygmunt, I think. The cinematographer behind Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, oh, right. Legendary guy. One of the greats, one of the all-time greats shot this film. Yeah. It is a pretty film. It's, it's very pretty. It is. It's, it's a well-shot film. This also holds a special place for me because it's the only film I could watch with my mother. <laughs> it's the only Kevin Smith film I could watch with my mother. It's PG-13. He does say shit a lot, but it's more it's more like a romantic comedy than it is... A typical Kevin Smith film. I will say that it's not the only Kevin Smith film that I could watch with my mother, but that's, <laughs> that's more of a mark on the fact that my mother really loved Dogma. Yeah, but but yeah, one thing before we leave Jersey Girl, uh, it does have Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez as a couple. Um, and this was when was Geely released? Two thousand two. 2003, uh, summer 2003, and this was March 2004. Yeah, so this was only a few months after. Jersey Girl's not well-liked on the whole. It has a 41 on Rotten Tomatoes. I kind of blame that. And, and I should say, a 41 is way too low on that film. I, I'm no fan of it, but I would at least give it a 65. I mean... At best, it's a D plus 9F. I mean, I, I give it higher personally, but... Yeah, and also... Um, uh, Sweeney Todd makes an appearance in it. Like one of my favorite jokes is that uh, the f- crux of the finale is the is a talent show, and everybody is doing cats is doing memory from cats until uh, until the last act, which is them doing Sweeney Todd. And now we have something not from cats. Thank God. <laughs> And I will say, that scene does kill. That scene does kill. 
Yeah. And I, I saw this before I saw the movie Sweeney Todd, and I got more familiar with the music, yeah. So this time I sing along with it. It's, 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 it's a funny scene. It's, it's, it's a very funny scene. Uh, the scene where the daughter first suggests going to see it is great. I mean, it's, 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 it's not a movie that I really like, it's a movie with some very good things. So, yeah, I'll check that for what it's worth. Um, yeah. Here's the thing, our disagreement on this one pales next to the disagreement that I have with uh, my fiancé on Corpse 2. Oh, really? Yeah, now, I respect her opinions. She doesn't find it funny. I really find it funny. I love Corpse 2. I got into Kevin Smith, uh, like, thing months, like, the summer before it came out. I believe it came out in the fall. Uh, summer. It came out in July. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I got into Kevin Smith around April of that year, if I remember right. Uh, perfect timing, then. Yeah. So I was I was on board for that. I went and saw it in the theater, and my god, the, it was just, um, that was a great audience experience for me. See, it wasn't for me, sadly. Really? Uh, there weren't that many people there. Um, God, I'm sure that it was. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's a it's a return to that style of movie. Like it's it's much more polished and much better than Clerks. And of course, it's in color. It's in, it's in muted tones though. After they shot it, they uh, digitally color corrected it to where it, uh, everything would be a little bit muted. Uh, I think the only scene where you can actually see how vibrant the colors on the set are is the dance sequence. I believe that. But yeah, it's it's a more low key film. I was working at a fast food restaurant at the time, so I it was definitely cathartic. I'm sure. I mean, Smith understands the boredom that exists here, and he does a good job with it. As, as big as Smith has become, he's never forgotten his roots. He has never no. forgotten his roots. I don't want to say that is a slow-ass restaurant, but... It is. Only staffed by four people, and they have, like, two customers an hour. And a rush is four customers. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous how slow and... But, you know, I don't know. Yeah, they, they gotta have time for the dialogue. And, man, the dialogue in this movie is just... It, it, it's crackling. All of my favorite quotes from this movie are just so incredibly filthy. This is uh, this is easily the raunchiest Smith was since the original Clerks. Shit, everything but coke, heroin, and your cock. You ever see a chick give a mule a blowjob? Well, at least you spelled cock right this time. His pickle was small enough to stay wedged after only four bites. Next, I'm going to show you my pooter. They even like it when you go ass to mouth. Shit, not again. Gotta finish. You weren't the one who got mayo in your cooch. Oh god, yeah. There is like a big racial diatribe in there. To mention the race thing. I, I brought that up and I made the complaint about it. But then I have to keep backtracking because that scene is one of the hardest <laughs> I've ever laughed in a movie theater. My grandmother had nothing but the utmost respect for the Jewish community. When I was a kid, she told me to always treat the Jewish kids well or they'd put the Sheeny curse on me. What the fuck? 
Fuck, man! What? She needs a racial slur, too! Oh, it is not. Yes, it is! Well, she never called any Jews Sheenie. She just used to say Sheenie curse a lot. It was cute. It wasn't cute. It was racist. I disagree, man. She was just an old-timer. That's the way people talked back then. Didn't mean they were racist. But my grandmother did refer to a broken beer bottle once as a nigger knife. Even now when I watch that scene, it kills me. What's funny, also, is the lead-up. They have, like, Wanda Sykes and um, Earthquake, and they're just ad-libbing back and forth, and that's funny. And uh, most of the ad-libbing is, of course, very racially charged. They need to get some Mexican women in here. They'd be pew. They don't play around. I know a Mexican made they, me lose my they. job. That <laughs> mother could put a roof up in 30 seconds. I had to quit, go to college. <laughs> that's why I'm telling you, Mexicans be off the chain. White boys done fell hard. off. They work hard. I know. After Randall says, But I'll be damned if I'm gonna let some self-righteous lucky turd come in here and treat me and Dante like we're a couple of fucking porch monkeys. Randall! They're all like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The way he said it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> awful and it's, racist. Again, even thinking about the scene it makes me laugh. It's funny, here's another example also of Smith knowing what he was talking about. One of the characters in it is a major Transformers fan who is excited about the movie that's going to come out the next year. Now, this is in 2006. Say that Transformers uh, doesn't come out and make a ton of money, Smith looks like an idiot for including that reference. Zing! Shut the fuck up, Gobot. As we all sadly know, it did. Yep, that train is still going, too. I am directly below! Enemy scrotum! Why? But yeah, that's... Uh, Smith seems to be good at that, just being being ahead of the curve, being like one step ahead, and uh, just including stuff that doesn't, you know, including uh, date-sensitive stuff that doesn't feel dated in ten years. Yeah, he knows his references. You know, we talked in the last cast about reference humor that doesn't work. Smith knows his references. He knows what's going to be timeless, and he knows how to make something that, okay, Mallrats feels like a 90s movie, but it feels like a time capsule 90s movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's very much of its time. It's, you know, it's again that Back to the Future thing. Smith was deliberately going for John Hughes. He was deliberately going for that feeling of something that is specifically of its moment, but that has resonance years down the road. With Clark's 2, it's really hard for me to say much about it beyond that I laughed. Uh, Rosario Dawson's great in it. Oh, God, yeah. She holds her own. I think what Smith jokes is that she made the audience believe that a girl of her caliber would fuck Dante. Yeah, sells it. <laughs> Admittedly, Dawson is known to be a huge geek girl in real life, which makes her casting her phone feel dead on. So Amanda doesn't think it's all that funny. I do. And, you know. It's one that, for all intents and purposes, I feel like I shouldn't find funny, just for how filthy dirty it is. But he makes it work. Like, there's, the climax involves a donkey show. Yeah. With a, with a guy and his donkey. But you know, here's the thing. That scene is so well handled, because Smith shoots it with such discretion, and really more focuses on the reaction shots. I'm disgusted and repulsed, and, and I can't look away. Dirty, but it's how it's handled. Smith knows enough. Well, at least he knew enough there. Um, I'm about to talk about when Smith doesn't handle discretion well in the next movie, but 
it's it's good. It's really good. And so, yeah, there's nothing more really for me to say beyond that. Um, before we get to Zach and Mary, I want to say something, which is that that summer I went to Wizard World Chicago and I got to see Smith speak live. Oh, nice. Was it was it for one of the DVDs or was it? Uh... It was just a. It was just he was just giving a talk, doing a Q and A. If you get a chance, you know, check out his the DVDs where he just talks. They're about four hours each, and my God, they're worth your time. Um, we were trying to get a Prince song for, for James and Bob Strike Back for the scene where uh, Channel Elizabeth's character comes into the, the movie's restaurant. We were trying to get Prince as the most beautiful girl in the world, but we couldn't get any response back from him. And then one day, I got a call at the office, and they said, uh, Prince's office called. He wants to speak to you. And I said, holy shit, fucking, there's royal badness? Um, so I call him up. And they answer, and uh, they're like, uh, yeah, Prince isn't available right now, but he does want to speak to you, so uh, sit by the phone, and we'll call you back. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. About 15, 20 minutes later, I'm like, Kevin, hi, I'm calling from Prince's office. Prince is going to be calling you in 25 minutes. <laughs> I said, awesome, all right, bye. <laughs> 25 minutes later, fucking phone rings again. Uh, this is Trevor in Prince's office. Uh, Prince will be calling you in 19 minutes. <laughs> And I said, this is genius. It's ironic that Silent Bob is really actually an incredibly engaging speaker. Smith can work a room. He was great. The experience was hilarious. I, 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 I laughed as hard at that entire experience as I did at having seen one of his movies. So that's, that's kind of my plug for one of his talks. Uh, I recommend uh, looking up the DVDs of this talking. After Quirks 2, uh, Smith talked about doing a horror film. In fact, that was actually announced during the uh, talk that I went to. Instead, decided to do, before he could get to the horror film, decided to do Zach and Mary Make a Corner. Kuzumo Sespa in my DeLorean. War's over, I'm a peacetime Mandalorian. The story is dumb, Star Wars historians deep in debate, but they play at Benegas. Rhyme Renegade, show to penetrate, first and second defense. I won't hesitate, got a job to do when Darcy the guy the delegates. Got something against Skywalker, someone he really hates. I don't give a fuck, I'm after solo for all I care. It could be hiding Yoda's dojo. Gotta make the money, credit's no good. When a job is run a shop in your neighborhood. Thank you. That's kind of a great title. That's a great title. <laughs> but I, I, I have a lot to say. <laughs> Go at it. I really do not think Smith's heart is in this movie. This is his first attempt at doing a comedy outside of the VOC universe. And I'm just going to say it right now. This movie felt like it was uh, Kevin Smith makes a Judd Apatow film. To, to his credit, though, he did write the role for Seth Rogen uh, before Seth Rogen became big. Yeah, he did. But this movie felt like Kevin Smith sees the 40-year-old virgin and decides he can do it better. Because this movie really felt out of that template. And he used he used several of uh, Aftow's regulars. Um, obviously, Seth Rogen in the lead, Elizabeth Banks in the female lead, uh, Craig Robinson in a uh, major part, and, okay, when I was talking about race earlier, Robinson's character is the embodiment of what bothers me about when Smith writes race. Because, okay, you know, it was okay when Chris Rock did it, even if it was a bit overdone, because Chris Rock really is a racially charged stand-up. It was okay That's kind of a great title. in the court scene, because that was just a single scene, and it was hilarious. 
and he had a point. <laughs> Every time that Robinson's character seems to talk in this movie, it's almost always in some way racial, and it is irritating. I would like you to come out and work. On Black Friday. Oh, yeah. All right. You want me to work on Mooley Monday, too? I'm sorry? How about Nigga Tuesday? It really felt like white guy trying to write black guy, and it just didn't work. And if that was my only qualm about the film, well, okay, I could have gotten past that. This was some of his least funny writing. This was some of his most hackneyed and cliched writing. And his heart just didn't feel like it was in it. We talked earlier about discretion, about how, okay, that's why the donkey scene is great in Clerks 2. The, there's a scene in which a character gets shit on. Yeah, that was actually one that Smith had to top EMPAA out of giving it NC-17. That scene was disgusting, and I did not laugh at it. It was pretty gross. I've seen the film a couple of times. Honestly, I didn't mind it that much on a first viewing. It's really more in subsequent viewings that I've developed this opinion of it. I, I believe that that scene raised an NPAA issue. I don't know why, why... Why was that in there? I don't know. He just wanted to have it. I think part of the... Uh, part of it is that, you know, if you cut that out, there are a bunch of continuity errors suddenly. Perhaps, but the scene... I just wouldn't have written that joke. Yeah, that's all it comes down to is. I mean, I've been to... My opinions about the film only your take on it. Um, I did like it. Uh, I saw it in the theater. Did not make much money. We're gonna get to that in a moment. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, it's certainly not my uh my favorite of his films. It's kind of it was kind of weird to watch it with an audience. <laughs> See, I actually watched it completely alone on the Saturday of its release. Oh shit! Yeah, I was not surprised by the box office at all. But um, I don't have too strong of an opinion on the film. I, I did like it, but you know I've only seen it once since. Yeah, that's all I can say, really. I, I, I just feel like, to me, it's that his heart wasn't it. I really kind of get the feeling that he was itching to do something else, but it was like, okay, the moment is big for my kind of comedy. Let me see if I can try and get a hit. Because he's always been kind of honest about the fact that he wanted a hit film. And I don't know that I can completely grudge him, but... In this case, it got tacky. I, I, I don't want to quite get to the podcast yet, but I, I just... A few more thoughts on the film. I will say that it's not a film that's irredeemable. Jason Mewes plays a character who isn't Jay in the movie, but also isn't not Jay. He uh, he plays a, a porn actor. At one point, we get a full frontal shot from uh, Mewes. That's true, we do. I don't know really how to put this politely, but he's not an implausible porn actor. If I, I, I bought him, he's that. Uh, he's, you know, Muse is funny. Muse is funny. And a Dutch Rudder is... You don't know what a Dutch Rudder I look, you grab your dick, and then you have someone else work your arm. Then, of course, is the double Dutch Rudder, which I grab my dick, you grab your dick, you work my arm, I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. The, uh, they, they actually did cast a, a porn actress uh, for the film. She was funny. That's true, they did. I forgot about that. That actress met somebody else on the set and actually ended up marrying him, and Smith officiated their wedding. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. Uh, you know, and, and I, I like Rogan. I, I like Rogan in general. Uh, this is not, this is far from his worst movie, I will say. He, he gets some good lines in it. I like Elizabeth Banks. 
she gets some good lines in it. But the film as a whole, it also doesn't work because I didn't buy the two main characters. Didn't buy their chemistry. Which is weird because this wasn't the first time that Rogan and Banks had worked together. I, as I said, I, I'm not particularly... I don't know. I'm just... I'm not a big fan of this movie. But I think that my opinions of the movie are tainted by what happened after the movie. Because we talked about Smodcast. Up until the cast that happened, I was a big Kevin Smith fan. And the Smodcasts are hilarious. Oh, they are. I haven't listened to them recently. Like, I think I listened up to, like, 99... And I kind of, I kind of fell off the the podcasting bandwagon altogether. Oh, you see, I'm deep into it, and I think that that's probably going to be my next archive binge that I do. And yeah, I think there's now a little smodcast uh, community of podcasts, actually. So everything was, you know, said I loved the casts, and uh, all was going well. And the lead up to the movie, all I was hearing was, "Man, this movie's going to make so much money. This movie's going to be a huge hit." The movie came out in text. For a few weeks, the podcasts did not update. When Smith came back, what happened was one of the most unbearable things I've ever listened to. I do not recommend anybody listening to this cast, because Smith essentially throws a hissy fit about how did my movie flop. I I just want to say right now, there is nothing more unbearable than filmmakers getting angry that their movie doesn't make money. I think, to his credit, he did, the, all those weeks off, he was taking time to calm down. So it yeah. could have been so much worse. Well, it could have been worse, but it wasn't very pretty what happened. No. Like he said, I think he says, you know, I wasn't happy. I'm happy now because the film has made back its money. But like it, it made like $2.3 in the first weekend, I think. Well, that was first day. First day? Okay, yeah. But that podcast is a giant pity party. Yeah. And I hate that because it's a hard podcast to listen to. It's 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 a sad, frustrating cast to listen to. So I don't know. I mean it from there, honestly, after that cast he did a couple of casts in which he talked about he started talking about, well, you know, I'm just gonna have to change what I'm doing. I'm gonna have to quit and I mean I I listened for a few more after that, but then it just became I can't listen to this anymore. This guy it is just he's taking such a woe is me viewpoint and you know we're going to address a director in a few weeks who also had a massive flop what I love about the way that everybody that did that massive flop is that one lost I mean I think Mary at least made it into black that movie is still a giant uh, black mark on the studio's ledger but you know what everybody involved with it is very proud of it I know that making movies is a business I know that but you know end of the day, unless it's your money that's in the thing, you know, I understand you've got to be concerned about, well, where are you going to get your next job and all of that. But you know, at the end of the day, if, if you're working on it on an artistic level, I kind of find it hard to take when people whine about, oh, not enough people saw my thing. Because to me, it suggests that their opinion of the work is solely based on how much money it made. And if that's the case, then you know what? I have no reason to take what you're doing on an artistic level seriously. Uh, it's just like the journey uh, that Ricky Jarre's character goes through in extras. Yes. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, and here's the thing. If you keep making solid work, you can fail miserably for years. 
and then bounce back. Joss Whedon, everything he touched, with the exception of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series. Well, also, he uh, worked as a writer on Toy Story. But with those two exceptions, everything he touched was kind of a huge, giant flop. But, I mean, that's what's funny, is Whedon failed miserably for years. And Whedon and Kevin Smith are a lot alike, I, I have to think, you know, both very geeky. Whedon failed miserably for years. I mean, Serenity barely went into the black after video. But after years of failing miserably uh, in a lot of his ventures, boom. First 200 million plus weekend ever for a movie. That's in his... Uh... In his uh, sophomore movie, too. Yeah. Admittedly, that's because of the, what that movie was, but Whedon deserves. You know what? We're going to get to that one. That's a cast that I will tell people right now. I hope you don't mind me spoiling that. We're going to be talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, later on this year. Yep. Marvel movie November. Marvel movie month. We've got a ton to say about that. But, you know, but the thing about it is Whedon has always took his flops with a sense of humor. It's like, you know, at least I got to make them. He's proud of this stuff. And with Smith, the attitude that he, I took away from after this cast was that, yeah, he just wasn't very happy with it. And that's what makes me feel like he didn't really want to do it. So, cop out. One film we both agreed that we would not watch. And I think that's fair because he didn't he direct it, but he didn't write it. He didn't write it. And um frankly, you know, it didn't it didn't get good reviews and we're just not gonna do it. By all accounts it was a miserable time on the set for him. Yeah, I guess he was really disappointed with working with Bruce Willis. Like it wasn't as awesome as he thought it would be. Willis isn't exactly known for being easy to work with. I mean, nobody has a good story about having worked with Bruce Willis. Yeah, which is too bad. But, yeah, we're just, it's not, we're not going to touch that. And then Smith finally decided to move into self-distribution with Red State. Just a closer walk with thee Granted Jesus, hear my plea Daily walking close to thee. Let it be our love. Let it be. Red State. It's actually released under Smodcast Pictures. Like he did, uh, he did bring it to Weinstein, and uh, I do believe that Weinstein is still kind of a producer on it, but not as the head of the Weinstein Company. He named his uh, company after a uh, company that he's doing it under, uh, the Harvey Boys. And yeah, Weinstein did like it, but he said it was, it would be, it'd be too ballsy for like a studio release. Like it'd be too, uh, like you wouldn't have been able to do it. And I believe it. I will argue that ne- that the Weinstein of that moment might not have done it because the mid to late 2000s were really bad for Harvey Weinstein. Uh, his company was not where they had been. Yeah, I think Weinstein now might take the chance on it because he's in a better place financially. Yeah, I can see why he wasn't ready to touch it. So, 
Let's talk about Red State because we both watched it just recently and uh, we have to put a disclaimer there will be massive spoilers because it was only released two years ago. Yeah, we are going to put the spoiler rule on it, and we will on the blog put a time code that you can that you can skip to uh, to avoid. So, but yeah, spoiler warning from right here. I've had some time to really think about it in the last twenty four hours, and the more that I think about, it, the more I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, it is a ballsy film. It is, and I kind of expected that I was going to watch this and feel like this was Smith without anything left to say. I. I feel exactly the opposite. I feel like this is Smith with a lot to say. Oh, God, yeah. This is not a comfortable film to watch. Not at all. It has some big-name actors in it for, like, a little independent film. Like, it has uh, John Goodman, Stephen Root, which who I forgot he was in Jersey Girl, but he's in Jersey Girl, yeah, too. Yeah, he is in that. What's, the, what's the, guy, the guy who plays the preacher's name? Michael Parks. Right, who's also a Quentin Tarantino regular. Yeah, Smith and Tarantino are like that. They are they are very close. And I wish it should be noted, Smith has openly cited Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs as a big reason that he wanted to make his own movie. Yeah, exactly. Big influence. And, and of course, it's come full circle. Uh, Tarantino is a fan of his. And, and, and we'll do a Tarantino cast. Let's make that clear. We are going to do a Tarantino cast at some point. Oh, it will happen, yes. What is this, man? It's like Craigslist for people who want to get fucked. I thought Craigslist was Craigslist for people who want to get fucked. How do you... They're all the same, man. You can't see any faces. Oh, shit, you showing them? Yeah, fucking flat out here. Are you kidding me? Yeah, look, it doesn't matter. But you can see the tits, you can see the fucking pussy, man. Fuck the faces. They, look, these bitches want to fuck. Even if they do want to fuck, they're all in New York and L.A. And look here, this one's a little closer to home. Holy shit, Cooper's Dell? No fucking way. We're getting laid, boys. These three high school guys go on this site where you can basically have anonymous sex with people. They find one for like a 33-year-old woman that wants a three-way, or I guess a four-way. They go, and it turns out to be a setup by this radical... It's it's extreme fundamentalist. Of course, the parallel that immediately springs to mind is the Westboro Baptist Church, but of course... You know, and they do mention, actually make mention of the Westboro Baptist Church in the movie. These people exist in this universe, just to be clear. And the church that this focuses on is worse than them. Yes, the, uh, as we come to find out, they're murderers. Yeah, they kidnap and murder those who they find to be uh, extreme sinners. Like, they uh, they kill a gay guy at the end of, like, they have a service uh, towards the beginning of the movie. And he... Smith does fit a full sermon in there. Hey, tell you, God loves you. God loves everybody. But a God that drowned the entire world, except you know this flock, sound like a God that loves you? No. no sir. That sound like a God that forgives your sins? No. No, sir. Your carnal desires? No. No, 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 no. That's not God's love. That's a God that abhors the wicked. He abhors those that ignore his righteous teaching, who forsake his covenant and scoff at his acts. God doesn't love you. Let's fear him. Which got a lot of attacks from critics, but I thought was just incredible. Uh, Michael Parks... It was riveting. Michael Parks deserves every bit of credit he can get for his performance in this movie. 
He's terrifying. Yeah, he really is. And good lord. Uh, I Smith's writing, like, my god, this is this is one of those things I did not know he had it in him. No, I didn't either. But I'm glad to know he's got it in him. The cements is like directorial versatility. He's just wow. Yeah, you know, he had, he admitted up front, he's like, Yeah, most this is a horror movie. I considering a horror movie most people look at it and say, No, it's not a horror movie. It's like, well, it's it's terrifying. It's terrifying. What we have to address is the fact that the movie starts as one movie and quickly becomes another. It does still have the humor in it in places, like it's it's very appropriately applied. Almost starts as a teen sex romp. Almost, sorta. Then it turns into the uh these kids are caught in this uh, crazy fundamentalist creature situation. How are they going to escape? And then the movie throws us for a big loop. To be clear, there's no tonal shift. Like, there's no. no stark... It's very evident that, you know, when they're in the trailer of this woman, even though they're kind of joking around with each other, it's very evident that something is off. Well, they're saying off in the first shots. I mean, they they introduce the, um, you know, the fact that the church exists, and they protest outside of funerals, and all that, and they're extremists. And it's very much apparent that something's off here. But yeah, they get caught, and the only reason that they are found is because uh, on the way to the to the trailer park where they're going to meet this woman, they, they accidentally hit a car, a parked car, uh, where a police officer is having, like, he's having a homosexual affair with his lover. And yeah, he goes back to the police station and say, uh, some guys hit me. The sheriff, you know, finds the car outside the compound and, you know, while they're doing their little thing, questions him. And it's it's very tense. It is. I mean, the tension just branches up. And so the sheriff then makes a decision that just sets the rest of the film in motion. He calls in the ATF. Now, should you know, the sheriff was played by Stephen Root. That was Stephen Root's performance. Yeah, and he does a really good job. Yeah, Root's, Root's excellent. Enter the uh, ATF guy and... I'm sorry, when John Goodman shows up in a film, is that ever a sign that it's going to be, no matter how bad the film is, and Goodman's been in some bad films, at least when he's in a movie, you're like, well, at least this has a fighting chance. 1922. It's all county had. Been building additions to the original structure for the last 50 years. No permits. It was a stud farm belonging to the last neighbors the Coopers ever had before Avon drove them off and bought the land. Million dollar views from three directions and they... Man, Costa, they batshit. You know how you get a valley this beautiful all to yourself. What a giant fucking cross on your front lawn. <laughs> Give me the horn. You know some shit's about to start. Goodman is incredible in this. I, th- I thought he was robbed of an Oscar nomination for Argo. He's really something to watch here as a man who's really caught in the morality of this. What happens next is the ATF shows up, and does anybody who knows their history knows when the ATF shows up at a religious compound, it doesn't go well. And uh, part of the morality play of it is that, well, that one of the kids comes out, like, finds a gun, and he, fi- he escapes, and then, like, the reveal that the ATF is there is that the uh, Stephen, the Stephen Root officer shoots him dead. Yeah. As he's running out of the compound, and... Uh, None of the kids make it out alive, it should be noted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, even Steven Root gets it. Yeah, it, here's the thing. If you find a character even slightly empathetic with the exception of John Goodman, they'll have a bullet in them by the time the movie's over. That's when they get the order to basically exterminate all of them. And 
Smith just absolutely knocks it out of the park in this sequence. I mean, this is this is some good stuff. Yeah. Oh, and the the problem with that, of course, where the uh, most of morality thing comes in is there are women and children in there. I feel bad because I'm not because I have no idea how to pronounce this actress's name, but the uh, actress that plays the main girl, um, she was in Argo as well. When she shows up in these films, I know she tends to play hostages. Uh, she's one of the women in the Iranian uh, ambassador's place there. She's good in this. She's she's really good in this. She's really good at playing someone who is caught in a tricky position morally. One of the other actors that I absolutely must note is Melissa Leo as the woman who tricks the boys. She's an Oscar winner for The Fighter. She's... She deserved it for that. She's 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 just right here. She's she's terrifying. Sir, I've apprehended one of the suspects. An armed girl, early twenties. She says she's the caretaker of the kids in the house. She says she wants to get the kids out the back without her people knowing. This is a hostile domestic terrorist cell. Use of deadly force is permitted. She's not even armed. We're not terrorists. Over. Those are your goddamn orders. It's a wrong move, Joe. We're not terrorists. We're not. You can't do this. Please don't. No, we're Stay not. Back. Stay back. Stay no. back. Please. Please. He, he basically lets her go. And then the guy gets killed immediately. As I said, now, if, if you come to like a character in this movie for even a second, th that, they'll die, with the, as I said, with the exception of Goodman. And everything just escalates into an ending that, you know what, I'm gonna say, I feel like we should save the ending for people to experience. Yeah. Because we are recommending, I mean, at least I'm recommending the film, I don't know if you are, but... I'm recommending it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely recommending that people experience the ending yourself, because I think that the ending is where Smith absolutely shows what, he's, what he has to say. I do have some comments, I won't say directly say what happens, but... You know, at first, I thought it was a weird choice to have that. At the same time, that kind of fits here. It was realistic enough. And it was, it, it fit. It fit really well. Kudos. It, not everything about it works that well. Uh, I will say, I think Klein's cinematography is really kind of hit or miss here. I think that there are a lot of moments where the film doesn't look a lot better than a standard direct-to-video movie. But that doesn't matter because what's being depicted is so powerful and the writing is so good that, I mean, this is on Netflix and I think it's at the very bare minimum worth your time. You won't want to rewatch it. It's not pleasant, but... It is definitely worth It's worth It's seeing. well worth your time. It's, this is one I was really caught off guard by. Yeah. What do you, I mean, where do you feel like Smith's career is going to go from here? Um... I don't know. I think it. I think it can go up. I mean, if he if he continues with stuff like this, then by golly, there was a teaser for another film. It's like pretty much the entire cast of this were returned, and I forgot what the film was. But that's that film's been put on hold. Uh, that was hit something. That's been put on hold. He's put that one on hold. That was going to be his hockey movie. Ah, I see. Which is a shame because I really would like to see a hockey movie from Smith, who is a very passionate hockey fan. The fact that it recurs in almost all of his films. Oh yeah, Chasing Amy, Dogma, uh, God, even Clerks. Oh yeah, big time in Clerks. Um, uh, Zach and Mary has a lot of references to it. 
you know, I here's the thing. Before I watched this movie, I kind of felt like he might be a director whose best days were behind him. I don't know anymore. I really, I mean, I think one phase of his career has come to a clear end, but I would really like to see what he does next. He's saying he's going to do Clerks 3. I know he's at least writing Clerks 3. Yeah, I'm not sure how well that will work. I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like he captured lightning in a bottle by doing Quirks uh, 2 and having it be any good. I, I feel like for him, maybe it's time to say let it go, man. Yeah. I'd like to see more serious work from him, because the thing about Red State is he has things to say as a filmmaker. I, I'm optimistic, though. Um, I, I feel like Smith's in an interesting place in his career now, and I'd like to see where he goes. Yeah. Just don't feel like he's beyond redemption, and that's that's kind of a nice thing to say. I'm tempted now to to actually pick up Smodcast again. I am too. I mean, doing this whole conversation has really made me want to put some of it on again and re-examine it because I don't know. It, it, it as I said, especially watching Red State, it makes me want to hear what he what he's got to say again. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Smith stuff is worth seeking out. I think. If that's if there's anything else I can say, it's even the films that I don't think are all that good have things about them to like. Yeah. It should be noted there is an animated film that he's currently touring with with Muse. Yeah, uh, what Jay and Silent Bob's super groovy cartoon movie, which I haven't seen because it's touring. When it hits DVD, I'll definitely be watching that though. Oh, same. Uh, I think I saw that it's based on the Blunt Man and Chronic graphic novel that he did. I'll, I'll watch that. One thing I kind of missed is that, uh, you know, the character of Jay is based on Jason Mewes. Of course, Jason Mewes was a druggie. He was very bad into it at one point. I actually have Smith's book. Uh, he details in that Jason Mewes' struggle with drugs and how he uh, managed to get himself off of it. Now he, now he's clean. It's it's a success story. He reflected that in Clerks too, because uh, Jay and Silent Bob actually did go through rehab. And uh, they're, they're still selling drugs, and they're still very much Jay and Silent Bob, but, you know, they're, uh, they're clean. I'm glad you brought that up, because the story about the friendship between Smith and Muse is really quite touching. It is. Smith is really there for the guy through thick and thin. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. The book that is uh, from his blog, and I think the story is called Me and My Shadow, if you want to seek that out. Yeah. Are you talking about my boring-ass life? Yeah, my boring ass life. That's the one. Yes, I've got that. I've got that. I've got that book. Uh, I've got that in the Smodcast Writings Collection, uh, the collection of transcripts of it. So, yeah. Yeah, that is well worth reading because it really is a touching story of uh, a true friendship. So, yeah. I mean, I, and that's just it. I, at the end of the day, I'm going to wrap that up because that does kind of cut the core of something I want to express, which is that whatever my issues with Smith over, you know, various things, the guy comes off as a really nice guy. And yeah, he's really charming. And I hope for the best for him in his life. Same here. I mean, I, I hope to meet the guy one day. <clears throat> I know I'm definitely going to try to call his attention to this cast. As I said, I, the guy's really talented. As a, even when he's faltered, the, the guy's talented. You know, I want to see where he goes next. Yeah, what, what he has, I don't think he's ever going to lose it. No. And the thing about he's only 43 now. You know, in filmmaking terms, that's still kind of young. That's very true. I mean, Scorsese and Spielberg are up there, and Eastwood is over 80 and is still working. 
There's a lot he could still do. I don't look forward to seeing it, so... Yeah, same. So next time, we will be looking at Howard the Duck. Going into the lost tapes here. Yes, that will be a fun one. The movie looks horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 got to be bad. So it's a legendary yeah. bad movie, but we're doing it with an ulterior motive. Oh, yeah. We have a mission here, people. So um, that'll be next up. <laughs> if, you're, if you're coming at us from iTunes, uh, you can find us on our blog, the source of our podcast, at thefilmroom.podbean.com. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Jump us a line, tell us what we're doing, uh, suggest topics. We're very open to that. Our schedule, we have a schedule, but, you know, it's it's not set in stone. If we like a suggestion, we'll we'll do it. You can find us on Twitter at, at filmroomcast. You can like us on Facebook. Please, you know, drop us a line there. And, uh, oh, we do. Uh, Facebook and Twitter. We keep a very active Facebook presence. It's, you know, simply facebook.com slash thefilmroom. Oh, yeah, our personal Twitters, if you want to follow us. I'm at Primitive Man PR. Austin is at Untitled User. I think that's all the info. So, uh, yeah, till next time, Snoochie Boochies. Yep. Hi. <laughs> Bye, everybody. The party's across the street featuring the greatest band in the world. More's day to time. jury. Hey, are you the biggest idiot ever? No, you are. Okay, this isn't a dream then. Good luck. Has the jury reached a verdict? In the case of Jay versus Dante Hicks, we find in favor of... We're sorry. Due to circumstances beyond our control, the script to the rest of the episode was lost on its way overseas. Luckily, the episode was finished by the Korean animators. We hope you enjoy the new ending. We find in favor of... Big American Party! 
party, disco dancing. Lots of fun, good time for all. I'm having very good time. Robot dancing? Oh no, please. Quickly in here. Who is driving? Oh my god, Bear is driving. How can that be? Couple of midgets. Korean animation studio. Everybody work. Everybody work. Everybody work. He big mean man whip us. We are slaves. Here we are. Help us. We will stop you. There's no escape this time. No, it is you who will be the one escaping. Not Pikachu. Please don't sue. Ha ha ha. Judge Reinhold! Tom Cruise! Oh no! You want the truth? You can't handle the truth! Show me the money! <laughs>